You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love More Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Trust because you are willing to accept the risk, not because it's safe or certain. That's an anonymous quote. Trust because you are willing to accept the risk, not because it's safe or certain. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Are we looking at you guys next to the last Saturday in October? Oh, my goodness, this year has blown by. To our loyal listeners, been with us for 16 years, thank you, thank you, and good Saturday morning to you. And for those who is maybe your first time tuning in to Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, I just want to let you know, my friend, that you are listening to the winning book radio show, Off the Shelf. And I want to thank you for joining us again. We have an, a wonderful author on deck this morning who's covering a topic. I think we've, we've covered... Uh, an author who's written a book about finances and money, but not this topic, I don't think, before. So this is new. So you guys get ready for a great off-the-shelf show uh, this morning. But before we bring her out and introduce her to you, i got to ask you, how good of a mystery sleuth are you? Do you love mystery? I love mystery. I, I When I get through working, I'm, I go all day. When I lay down, like on a Friday or Saturday night on the sofa, I watch a stream of movie. It's generally a mystery. It's something about a mystery that is so extra, extra, extra entertaining. If you love mystery, I really encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. It's in ebook or in print, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. If you're on BookBub, you can see it over there, Bargain Booksy, eBook It, Walmart, Google Books, etc. But also, Love Pour Over Me, there's another thing. If you value relationships, you like there's, there is a beautiful romantic relationship in this story between Raymond and Brenda. They're like two of the stars of the story. But there's a there's a complicated father son relationship as well between Raymond and his father. His father has untreated alcoholism, and then he meets these four friends when he goes to college. They stay friends for life. One of them goes on to do well in the NFL. Raymond's on his way to the Olympics, but is one of his friends involved in this murder? And will Raymond cover up what what's going on with this? So I encourage you, if you value relationships and you like a good mystery, go treat yourself to love pour over me. You can get an ebook or in print. And you can go get yourself a copy right now. And now let us go and meet our very special off the shelf guest. And today's off the shelf guest is Doctor Sarah. I hope I'm saying her name right, Dr. Sarah Zeth Gerber. And Sarah is an author, public speaker, and workshop leader. She is also the founder of Life Encore, a life planning and consultancy firm for baby boomers. And she helps people prepare to live a rewarding and victorious life 
after retirement. Oh, I think we need this. We do need this. She has a doctorate in counseling and human behavior and a master's in guidance and counseling. Her bachelor's degree is in psychology. She has appeared in several media outlets, including USA Today, the Huffington Post, and the Longevity Network. She loves the outdoors and singing soprano in community choir. She is also the author of the book, Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers. Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers. You can check Sarah Z-E-F-F, Gerber, G-E-R-B-E-R, out online at SarahZefGerber.com. And I'm going to spell that out so you can even visit her online. After you get that love for over me copy, you can visit her online even as you listen to the show. And her website is S-A-R-A, Z as in zebra, E-F-F, G-E, G-E-B-E-R. I hope she corrects me if I got that wrong. It might be another R in there. S-A-R-A-Z-E-F-F-G-E-B-E-R.com. We're honored to have her on Off the Shelf this morning. Welcome, welcome to Off the Shelf, Sarah. Thank you, Denise. Happy to be here. The first thing I'm going to do is, did I say the website URL correctly? Is it S-A- <laughs> you said the- S-A- you said the website correctly. My name is Geber, not Gerber. Oh, it's your name. I messed up. Okay. But that's Thank fine. You. you got it right. <laughs> okay. So, again, that website, Off the Shelf listeners, S-A-R-A-Z-E-F-F-G-E-B-E-R.com. S-A-R-A-Z-E-F-F-G-E-B-E-R.com. Because I want you guys to go over there, check her out, on, out online, even as you listen to today's show. So it's just a pleasure to have you here, Sarah. I'm just, this is so timely with the COVID, with retirement, with people being laid off. Some people did all the right things, saving their money over the years, and they, they got laid off is chewing through their retirement. That happened to me with the Great Recession. Yeah. I did all the right things, and then the recession said, hello, I'm going to be taking that from you. So uh, uh, this this will be a very helpful show and so on time. But to kick it off, before we start talking about your book, I'd like to give our listeners a little backstory on our, our guests. So can you tell off-the-shelf listeners, Sarah, where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Absolutely. I grew up in Berkeley, California. So you can imagine that was an interesting childhood. Um, I did grow up in the uh, 50s and 60s. So by the time I got into my later years of high school, there was a lot of activity going on at, at coming mostly from the uh, the Cal campus at Berkeley. We were party to a lot of the demonstrations, and uh, we were there during the tear gas days and all of that. So, um, so that was kind of an interesting childhood. Uh, went to Berkeley High School. <clears throat> which was the only high school in the city and attracted everybody from all parts of Berkeley. So I had a really very well-rounded uh, education up until that point, and then I went off to college. Uh, took me three different colleges till I finally got my bachelor's degree. But uh, and meanwhile, I saw a bit of the world and was glad that I took that little break. You know, it's um, interesting. So, no, go ahead. Oh, so, uh, you know, the rest of it was pretty standard. I I had a career in um, human resources and uh, organizational behavior. I did a lot of training and coaching of managers and leaders 
then about 10 years ago, I made a shift and I started doing retirement coaching because frankly, at that point, a lot of my clients were wanting to talk more about their retirement plans than their um, strategic plans. So I decided to make the shift myself and it's been a, a great, great 10 years working with people who are in retirement or just about to make that transition. You know what, I, you, it's, it's interesting. I remember like the protests from like the 70s. It's almost, it's a, the themes are different. The, the reason people are protesting was the Vietnam War and women's rights and, but it, it's, and civil rights. But it's, mm-hmm. it's 50, 50 years later, because it was, then it was a lot of college students and college campuses doing a lot of that protesting and, and uh, yes. of course, in other areas as well. But it's, it, this is like uh, somewhat in some way similar uh, to, to me, and everybody mm-hmm. has a right. Definitely, everybody has a right to be heard, and this is glo- this is going on globally, like what's going on in Poland, et cetera. But now, as a kid, yeah. as a kid, what what did you? You said you worked in human resources, organizational behavior, and now you're doing the retirement planning. But when you were a little girl, what did you dream of? What did you want to be when you grew up? When you were a kid. Oh, I guess I had the standard dreams of most little girls. Um, I wanted to be a, what they called then was a stewardess, and uh, I actually got to fulfill that. Um, for a couple of years, I worked as a flight attendant. Um, now, of course, that's what they're called. And that's how I got to see a lot of the world. Um, also, when I was a little girl, I, I I showed I what I think you would call leadership qualities then, or maybe then we they just called it bossy and impudent. <laughs> but I like to to um, be the the orchestra leader. I like to have things go the way I thought they should go, and so that's what I did a lot in my in the the, the play and um, playing with friends. I always wanted to make up the game and have it go the way I wanted to go. No, well, you're a leader. They tell women, stop seeing you. It's bossy. You're a leader. <laughs> Maybe that's your natural right. your natural thing, and now you're leading people into great retirement planning strategies, et cetera. Now, uh, can you just expand a little bit more? You've done a couple of different things about the work that you did, particularly in your with your Ph.D., before you started public speaking and and writing books. Well, I did, and the organizational behavior and the uh, counseling um, led me to a lot of training. I did a lot of training of managers and leaders in, in things like communication skills and negotiation skills and how to select good employees, even how to, um, sadly, also how to conduct a layoff when that was necessary. So I did that for probably 25 years before I made the transition. Um, and I, I, I find that it's much more rewarding doing the kind of work I'm doing. I didn't work for corporations very long. I, I worked for Lockheed, Lockheed Corporation. It's now Lockheed Martin for uh, oh, about six years before I went out on my own. But uh, I think one of the, the hallmarks of my life was the fact that I, I really didn't want to work for someone and have a nine-to-five job, or <laughs> now it's more like a seven-to-seven job. 
um, and, and get a paycheck. I wanted to be on my own. So when I was 40, I left Lockheed to be a consultant. And for the rest of my career in that area, I worked on my own. I would get my own clients, clients that wanted leadership development, and I would develop the programs and deliver them and coach their leaders and sometimes uh, help them figure out what the best path forward was for a, what, for a company. What, what, around what year was this? You, I'm already like becoming impressed with you. This that word bossy. No, you're a leader. You're independent. You're <laughs> you're you you help people. You, I'm curious. I remember years ago when it was all over national news. There was a woman who went back to college, and I want to say she was in her 40s or 50s, and nobody had really done that. Everybody was in, you know, late teens, 20s in college. Mm -hmm. It was national news. It was the biggest deal that somebody in her (laughs) 40s or 50s, oh, my gosh, and and how is that going to work, her in school with all these young people? And now it's more normal. So I'm curious. You seem like sound like a trailblazer. You just went out on your own. The confidence. Where was that? Like in the eighties or nineties when you just said, "You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna start." Well, I went out. I went out on my own uh, in 1990. Wow. Uh, that was my first year. It was my first year out on my own, and and I didn't have my PhD yet. I didn't. I had done the coursework, but I hadn't had the time to write the dissertation. So once I went out on my own, then I, I eventually had a, two or three clients that were very steady, and I didn't have to do a lot of marketing, and that gave me the time to write my dissertation. So I actually didn't get my PhD until I was in my 50s. Go ahead, Sarah. Go, you your inspiration. Now, now, t- going into the retirement and the consulting work that you do today, just how challenging is it to age, um, especially in a world that encourages constant activity? I've all, often heard this world is made for people who are are in, in their youth. But so, how challenging when you work with your clients? Do you see people struggle? I heard like when you retire, the first six months is just glorious, <laughs> and then it settles <laughs> in. How much of a challenge is it for people? We expect it to be well. Moved. You know, it varies from person to person. <clears throat> there are people who develop a lot of outside interests. Um, they on the weekends they have hobbies and they pursue uh, maybe even some part-time volunteer work and the by the time they go out on their own they're or, sorry out by the time they retire they've got a lot of interests and activities going already so it's not a huge transition for them on the other hand uh, i have a i had one client who left a big corporation where he had had a high-powered job for 35 years and he was getting ready to retire and he just didn't have any friends other than the friends from work. His, uh, his, his spouse had some friends, but they were her friends. And when he, when he left, it was frightening for him because he had a nice retirement party on a Friday, and he woke up on Monday and went, oh, my God, what am I going to do? 
So mm-hmm. that's what we don't want to happen. So I encourage my clients to get busy figuring out exactly what or maybe not exactly, but a variety of things that they might enjoy doing once they don't have to go to work every day because you're going to want to get up and do something every day. Maybe you you need a few months to just get up and do nothing, but after that, most all of us want to have some kind of meaning and purpose to our lives. Now, some people have heard... I have a cousin who uh, I have a, a cousin who's in her fifties, and every weekend she works at a a dog rescue, and she's gotten she has done that for probably the last six or seven years, and it is very very um, absorbing of her energy and time, and she knows that once she retires, she'll probably do that three or four days a week, and that will fill her time. She even goes with them to Mexico and Thailand um, to pick up other unwanted dogs and bring them back to the U.S. where people do want to adopt dogs. So it's really an all-encompassing thing. So she's all set when she wants to retire. So that's the kind of thing that I mean. You know, and that's good because, again, people, when they retire, we work to retire. We work on and, and, and and we don't realize it. A lot of people, their only friends are people they work with. So whether they get laid off or retire, then it's like who do they connect with now? Because everybody's not close to their family. Some people aren't. So now it's who do you connect with? All your people you hung out with, with people you went to work with, and now when you're retired, especially if you're like a senior leader, you've lost that. Mm -hmm. Nobody's when you go to Home Depot, nobody's going to do something just because you said it. And right. all of that shifts and changes. And, and that, it's just a lot to adjust to. Now, where does your passion, Sarah, where does your passion for solo agers come from? And before you answer that, I want to ask you so our listeners are, are clear. What exactly is a solo ager? That's an important question. When I first conceived of solo agers, I thought of them as people that didn't have children because for, with the baby boomers, believe it or not, close to 20% of baby boomer women did not have children. Now, some of them went on to adopt children. Some of them inherited children by marrying for a second time to a man who had children. Um, so it isn't that they that, – that, one out of five baby boomer women didn't have a chance to participate in motherhood, but still there's a a huge number, almost double what it was in previous generations that do not have children. So that, that was my original definition of a solo ager. And then I got so much feedback from people when I would talk about this and write articles about it that they said, Oh no, no, those aren't the only people that are solo agers. I'm divorced and I don't see my kids because they live on the other side of the country and I'm totally alone. So I'm a solo ager. And then there would be people who say, yeah, my kids, um, I've been estranged from my kids for years and I'm a solo ager. And so on it went. So by the time I wrote the book, I had actually expanded the definition of solo ager to anyone who doesn't have children, married or single, by the way, you don't have children, and anyone else who's aging alone for other reasons. So that's my definition. Okay. Now, now how, what is your, how did I 
<laughs> How did I come up with the idea? Well, um, I would say about 10 or 12 years ago, I was looking around me and a lot of my friends were spending a tremendous amount of time, and my clients too, spending a tremendous amount of time taking care of their aging parents. In some cases, they were flying across the country to make sure they were safe and secure. They were spending time taking them shopping, bringing them medications, taking them. Um, it just, you know, it was any number of things. As they got older and older, they needed more and more. And especially those people who had decided to age in place, all of a sudden they needed their kids to help them. And I was having a glass of wine with one of my friends who also doesn't have children. And I said, Sandy, who is going to do that for us? Mm. And I realized at that point that there was no answer to that. And those of us who didn't have children were going to have to figure it out for ourselves and do some pretty robust planning ahead of time. So that's where, that's the idea and that's how I came to it. You know, it's just, I'm listening to you. It's you, you talking to me. That is so, so important. Now, so your passion came from working with clients and seeing the need and then also saying, hey, I'm a solo agent myself. Is that where your passion <laughs> For working with solo agents came from? Exactly. Do solo agers, so so just, again, your work, the studies you've done, research you've done, across the board, we hear about retirement so much, and you hear more the older you get, you, you would hope that people would be thinking about it more the older they get. Some people might think mm-hmm. Social Security is going to be enough, and it's just not. It's like getting an unemployment check. For the rest of your life, it's just not going to be enough. Do solo yeah. agents do they prepare for for reti- for retiring early enough? And do they prepare do they prepare early enough and well enough? Well, I think that they're pretty much well not very different than the rest of the population. Um, the advantage for solo agents that don't have kids, of course, is that. <clears throat> they don't run the risk um, of having to spend a tremendous amount of money on children, children who need money for college, need money to get launched in life, um, help with a down payment on a home or even rent. Uh, Sometimes kids get into trouble and you end up spending a tremendous amount of money um, getting kids through a rehab program or, you know, any number of things. So children are expensive. So to that extent, solo agers sometimes are in a better position financially. And, of course, women who have been solo agers, like me, um, have had an uninterrupted career. We didn't take time off to have kids. We didn't have the distraction of having kids. So to some extent, you would think we would be better off, and, and I feel like uh, I and a lot of my clients and friends are are better prepared, but a lot of people don't start thinking about it early enough and get those estate documents in order and start talking to people about what they want as they get older and how they're going to achieve it. Where are you going to live? Who are you going to be with? Who's going to take care of you if you need care when you're older? And, and most of us do need some care. Unless we get cut off uh, early in life by 
oh, cancer or, um, you know, some other kind of disease that kills us before, um, before our 80s, um, generally we are going to need some help as we get older. Yeah, that you know that is a, that is an interesting point and something to start to start to think about if you get insurance for in in home care or what is, what is your mm-hmm. plan? What is your plan? So I gotta ask you this. I gotta ask you this. If for some it might be a simple answer, but for others, for off the shelf listeners, I just want to help people as much as I can. Is Social Security enough to retire on? And and why why do you say? Why? Why or why not? In most cases, it is not. Um, If you have a relatively low-cost or no-cost place to live, uh, and in some areas of the country, property taxes are low, um, uh, other kinds of expenses are lower than they are in, in the expensive urban areas, sometimes you can get away with it, but it's Nobody should count on Social Security. You know, back in the 40s and 50s, they used to call retirement a three-legged stool, that you needed to have Social Security, some kind of a pension from your employer, and savings. So even then, nobody ever assumed that Social Security would be your single source of retirement money. It's only one, you're you're trying to sit on a one-legged stool. Mm. What advice can you offer to people who are still working, but they may be in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and things like the Great Recession hit and bit out mm-hmm. a huge chunk of their retirement savings or even COVID-19? Is, do you have any off, any guidance to offer? Even young people who are like, oh, we did all the right things. We're in our 30s, sure. and now COVID, COVID just snatched all of our savings. Uh, do you yeah. have any in- guidance uh, for anybody in those situations? Well, I will say a couple things. Um, First of all, there are no terrific answers to that question. But there's two things you can do. First of all, familiarize yourself with all of the services that are available through, through government services. So the Older Americans Act, which was passed, I think, during the Clinton administration, Um, provided for area agencies on aging. And every county in the country has an area agency on aging. And they will know what the the services are for older people. There are low-cost and no-cost services available. But, of course, as the further we get, year by year, there's more demand for these services. So the more you know about them, the earlier you know. And if you're of an age where you know that very soon you're going to need some kind of, of um, low-cost place to live, then apply early to, for um, subsidized housing. Uh, that's available for older adults who don't have the means to support themselves later in life. Um, well, of course, for everybody, we should all keep working as long as we can so that we have a, more money saved up so that we <clears throat> are entitled to a larger Social Security check, and all that comes from, from working longer. Uh, so there's lots of reasons to do that. 
and you don't have to work at your at your midlife very stressful job, but just keep working at something that will bring in money if you can. The other thing this is radically different. The other thing that people can do that I I tell people all the time uh, in my seminars and um, when people when my clients ask me what can I do I just don't have any money saved up I don't know where I can live on the money that I have and I tell them think about moving outside the borders of the U.S. Mm. There are a lot of wonderful places to retire on very little money south of our borders in Mexico and Central America, some places in South America like Peru is a popular place. Now, other people do have family. There are some solo agers that don't have kids, but they have big families. So another important thing to do is to talk to your family about the fact that you are a solo ager and you're going to at some point be relying on some family members to help you. If you have nieces and nephews, those are probably your best, you know, depending on their personalities and and, um, how well they're doing in life and how stable people they are. Um, If you have a good relationship, they'll probably be more than happy to say, you know, sure, Uncle Jim, I'll, I'll be there for you when you need me, or sure, Aunt Betty, I'll I'll be available for you. You don't live very far away. But you have to have people that live close and you have to have people that you've built up a relationship with and they're meaning, you're meaningful to one another. So I also encourage people to really start nurturing those relationships. And not just for your sake as you get older, but for the sake of the young person too because you can be a great help to them as they move through life, you've had much more experience than they have. And for most people, their parents aren't, aren't enough. They need other older adults in their life to guide them and help them and offer the value of, their, of your experience. So it's a, it's a mutual thing. Now, what, what inspired, thank you, thank you so much, Sarah, for what you shared and are sharing. What inspired you to write Essential Retirement Planning for solo agers, why did you decide to, to put this in, in, in a book? You know, when I started researching it and discovered how many solo agers there are out there, I, I also discovered that nobody was talking about it. So I started talking about it, and I started writing about it, and pretty soon people were saying, you've got to write a book. You've got to write a book about this. You know so much about it, and you've, you've studied it, and nobody else is talking about it. And I do love to write. So I uh, started in on the book. I was still actually working as a consultant when I started writing the book. And it wasn't until I finally decided I was going to give that up completely and focus on my retirement planning work that I finished the book. So the book came out in 2018. And I'm actually very, very proud of it. It continues to sell well. And I'm glad I took the time I did and it wasn't a a scattershot effort. Um, I got some very good editing. And then kind of at the 11th hour, I found a terrific publisher. So I'm very pleased with it. Good for for you. I'm happy to hear it. And, And again, just can you tell us some of the some of the topics that you cover in essential retirement planning for solo agers. Sure. Well, the book is actually divided into 
four sections, more or less. And I start out talking about preparing for the future. And I spend a, a, a great many pages talking about the role of adult children in the life of an elder. Because what better way to figure out what we're, what we're going to have to plan for ourselves than to take a good look at what adult children typically do for an elder. So I cover a lot of that, and that has to do with things like emotional support as well as legal representation, um, bill paying and handling money, so many things that adult children end up doing for parents that live a really long life. And the second part of the book is very much like any book on retirement. It's about enjoying the second half of your life, building financial security, developing your, a greater sense of your own, your own definition of meaning and purpose and understanding how you're going to continue to have a life of meaning and purpose after you leave your job. Um, being adaptable and flexible is important, and probably most important of all, building and maintaining a strong social network, whether that's with family or with people you're not related to, kind of the family that you build. Mm, then the third okay. part the third part is totally devoted to where you're going to live because that's such an important question for solo agers. So I talk about all the different options for where people can live, starting with the conventional options of uh, aging in place or moving into a retirement community. And then I talk about some less conventional options like home sharing and um, co-housing and, and ways of building community that probably weren't in our parents' way of thinking. And then finally, in the fourth section, I talk about how to make sure that you are comfortable and cared for in your oldest age. And that means making sure that you've done your estate planning um, and you have an advanced directive and powers of attorney and you've talked to the people that you've named and they know what you want in your final days. Um, and I, I, also, I even talk about end-of-life choices. So it, it kind of moves along organically from uh, early retirement and figuring things out for what you're going to do to the, the, uh, the later days of retirement. Because, you know, today a lot of people are cresting that age of 100 and living, living into their early hundreds. And you know what? I'm, 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 I'm in the next 10, 20, 30 years, I think that's going to, I really think living to be 70, 80 is, is not going to be such a big deal. 70 right now probably isn't. But it's 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 going to be, with technology, we could start to live 100, 115. That will be the new yeah. 80, 90s. It could be. It will. It absolutely will. But, you know, that's, that's a two-edged sword. Um, not a lot of people really want to live that long, for one thing, because um, we – we're not as strong as we used to be, and sometimes our mental faculties aren't as good as they were. Medical science can keep us alive, but we want to be more than alive. We want to be vital, thinking, mobile human beings. And if we're going to live to 105 or 110, we need to finance a much longer retirement. And that's where, you know, years ago when my grandfather retired from Rockwell, 
and my uncle from General Motors, where they both worked as managers, oh, my goodness, mm-hmm. their pensions and their benefits were amazing. Well, yeah. that's pretty yep. much gone today. <laughs> companies are, companies are not. <laughs> yeah, those those days of putting in 30 years at a firm and then they you get a pension in the mm-hmm. mail every month. I mean, my grandfather enjoyed that, and th- those days uh, are it's rare to find a company yeah. that 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 yeah. does that now. But then you'd have your yeah. Social Security, your pension, and your savings. Now it's really almost all of it. You got to yourself, other than Social Security, b- build that. What are you your nest egg yourself? Now, how can solo yeah. agents? When you're talking about, it's so important. You see the commercials, even like with COVID, with the people at the either nursing home or home by themselves, they uh, they can't have a uh, contact. People having weddings mm-hmm. through the window and birthday parties through the window. How can solo agers continue to live a rewarding life if they feel isolated or alone without a spouse or or children? Well, that's a challenge right now during this pandemic. Um, most of the solo agers that I know, that especially those that are still driving and still able to get around, find ways to get together with their friends, maybe for a socially distanced picnic uh, during the summer at least, or eating at an outdoor at a restaurant that serves outdoors and sitting far enough apart that they're safe from one another. Um, we find ways, and of course there's always the, the uh, Zoom technology on on the computer or the tablet Um, I do a tremendous amount of that with people that I know and it's how I do my talks these days it's all virtual but we need to stay connected whether it's in person or whether even if we're just using the computer to stay connected we need to try and do that and it's it's a big problem Um, and Denise I think you've named the probably the most awful part of all of us suffering through this pandemic is the lack of being able to be with one another in person and have a hug um, and, and touch hands. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just hard. It's hard for everybody. Mm. What, what is the process, Sarah, of making a living will and end of end of life arrangements. I've seen I've seen shows. I love to watch American Greed, and I've seen shows where <laughs> uh, somebody uh, uh, and, and it could be an attorney, an accountant comes in, especially with an older person who has money, and they be, become the power of attorney, and they literally drain that person's account. So you got to really be oh, careful. Yeah. What, what is what is the process of making a living will? And the and end of life arrangements. If possible, you should do it through um, a, an attorney, um, a good attorney who has a good reputation. Um, again, sometimes through the area agency on aging or your your local council on aging, um, you can get some of these things done at a lower cost. Not all t- attorneys are the same. I've seen wildly different uh, cost quotes from different attorneys for building an estate plan. So shop around, but make sure you find someone reputable. 
and also a good financial planner. Now, I'm not a financial planner, so I, I use fi- a financial planner to, to help me with my retirement plan. Um, but both of those professionals can help you put together, mostly the attorney, can help you put together a uh, what used to be called a living will. Now it's more referred to as an advanced directive where you specify exactly what you want done in a medical emergency where you can't speak for yourself, where you can't give your own opinion. Um, you have it written down ahead of time and for doctors and anyone who is there at the hospital as your advocate. Uh, all of the people that might be in a hospital situation as your advocates should know what you want and you need to write that down. So that's called an advanced directive. And powers of attorney are for people to make decisions in your absence. Now, I always encourage people to choose family members as, that they trust as kind of their, their first line of defense. Now, unfortunately, sometimes it's family members that take advantage of an older person and, and drain their accounts. So this is a tricky one. Um, in some cases, it's better to have a, the trust department of a bank making decisions for you. Um, in, in other cases, you can appoint lifelong friends but remember that you want to appoint people who are younger than you because you don't want to outlive all the people that you name in your estate documents. Now, if you've done your, your estate documents, meaning mostly your advanced directive, your powers of attorney for both health care and finances, a, a will, and in many cases, a trust, depending on how, how big your estate is and who's involved, um, your attorney may suggest that, that you have a trust. Um, again, I'm no expert in these areas, but they are important for, for almost everybody to do. So okay. the um, – go ahead. No, I was going to ask you ask you next, and I can you just a wealth of knowledge. Can you share a few tips again of people who and I have friends who've had to take care of a a parent who had Alzheimer's or another uh, mm-hmm. illness? Can you share share a few tips? And there's a show that comes on where I live on the radio, and it talks about how caregiving is can be very taxing. I can remember when my dad was. Mm. Due to, due to cancer, it can be you're flying back and forth. The people are. It can be taxing. And we took care of my grandmother after she had a stroke. It it 35 percent I'm told of caregivers pass before the people they take care of. It's just very yes, taxing. isn't that startling? Yeah, it is. Can you share a few tips that adult children can take to even ease, make it easier on themselves if they're taking care of aging aging parents? Well, I can only pass along tips that I've heard from others because this is not my area of expertise. But um, the conventional wisdom is that you make sure that you have respite. And respite means you have somebody else that comes in to spell you from time to time and give you time to just go out, go for a walk, go shopping, 
um, go for a hike, do something with a friend, take a break. A lot of caregivers are under more stress than the person who's being cared for, and you need to give yourself a break. So make sure that you enlist the aid of someone else. And, you know, so many caregivers think, well, I'm the only one that can take care of my loved one. I'm the only one that knows what she wants or what he needs. But that's not true. You can have other people involved, and you need to have other people involved because the last thing you want to do, as you mentioned, Denise, is to die before the person you're caring for. And I just saw that happen with a with a very dear friend of mine who was um, oh struck in her early 60s with early onset dementia mm. and her husband her husband kept her at home with a caregiver but he ended up being he did have a caregiver for her but he ended up doing a lot of the work and he ended up dying before her mm. and it was it was very tragic um, and yeah. she now is in a memory care facility rather than at home. Um, she's fairly far along in her dementia, so she made the transition pretty easily, actually, and her daughter stepped in to help. But, um, yeah, uh, caregivers need to take good care of themselves, meaning eating right and getting exercise and getting outdoors. It's it's um, very, very, very important. Yes. And thank you for sharing those tips. Again, they, it comes on uh, here where I live in Tennessee on the radio, and they, they, they talk about the stats and thanking the caregivers. And you do need help. You can't do it all yourself. And, and you love mm-hmm. your parents. And some people feel just indebted to their parents for what their parents did for them when they were younger. But I just know to, when we were all helping with my grandmother and my dad, oh, my God, it, was, it had to have been six or more of us just rotating you know, and you flying in and out, and then we have people local. It's a lot. Uh, I couldn't imagine yeah. one person doing it, doing that all by her or himself. Now, I got to ask you this: Do people, when you talk to your clients, some people really they say, I've, I've heard quotes like this, particularly when I was younger. When you're when you're in your teens, you worry about what your peers think of you, whether you're going to wear to school, and how what everybody's going to say, and who likes you, and <laughs> Da, 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 da. And then in your 20s, you're trying to get started, and you, you're worried about the dating and will you get married, will you have, if you want to have kids or get married, you're worried about those relationships. Then in your 30s, you're worried about work and blah, 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 blah. And people say once you hit 50 as a woman, it's like, I don't care. I'm just going <laughs> to live my life, live my life, do what I want. And that's when I've heard some women say that's when you really start to have fun. So I just wanted to ask you <laughs> with the clients you work with, dude, have you seen that people generally enjoy the, more the first or the second half of their life? Well, I think statistics tell us that people are happier as they later in life, um, especially in our 50s, 60s, and into our 70s now when there's – but, you know <laughs> – all bets are off at this point because we're all having such a challenging existence. So I I don't want our listeners to think that they should be happy because they're 55 years old. Right now, everybody is struggling and yeah. you're just not alone. You know, the, the, I w- I'm sure you've read about it. I'm sure most of our listeners have read about it. 
alcoholism is up, drug use is up, loneliness yeah. is up, um, psychiatric medications are up. It's just, it's a hard, hard life right now, and especially in this country. Yes. You know what? Hopefully we, hopefully one thing we'll learn, and then in some other countries people are protesting, like, no, we can't do another lockdown, is uh we, hopefully we learn the value of human relationships. I really, 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 really that hope that comes out of this so that we don't dismiss people, mistreat people, that we see that we are so much better when we're connected. We are just so much better when we're connected. I hope that's one one thing that people gain from this. Um, now, I wanted to ask you. What do you mean by consider your legacy? What's involved in a legacy, and what's involved in a legacy worksheet? Well, a legacy, just to define the term, is what we leave behind. And a lot of times, solo agers struggle with that because they don't have children that they're leaving anything to. So a legacy isn't always material. Uh, we do leave material things behind, but our legacy is what people remember us for. So thinking about what we're, what we're good at, what we've taught others, what we can still teach others, what we want to be remembered for, the, these are all part of what we leave behind. And solo agers can leave just as rich a legacy as parents. Um, we probably will anyway without realizing it, but it's nice to to kind of come to terms with what we are leaving behind, and that's what the worksheet is all about, really understanding what kind of a legacy you are leaving behind and doing it at a time in your life, ideally, when you can enhance that legacy, when you realize that you've, you've helped a lot of young people, you can ask yourself, well, where else can I help young? Can I help more young people? Maybe it's through your church. Maybe it's through mentoring. Um, maybe it's through your nieces and nephews. But understanding what it is that you have to give is an important part of being able to maximize that. Okay. Now, what have readers been saying about essential retirement planning for solo ages? And before you answer, I'm just listening to you. Your wealth of knowledge and your, your your own history and living experience, I would recommend this book for, like, definitely for anybody who's in their 50s or, or, or later, but really almost for anybody to, as they, because they tell you really to start re- planning for retirement as soon as you get a job. I mean, it's done, it's done early because you might be fortunate like I was where you I mean, I had built up a, a nice retirement, and then the recession came and said, okay, I'm going to be tapping into that. You don't know what's coming, yeah. but hopefully you've built up enough that you don't exhaust it all. So I, I, it's never too early to start retiring. There's ne- I, I, as soon as you get a job, I tell somebody start retiring right away. But what? Yeah. But there's, there's so much that you, you, you're sharing of so much value I feel like you you should get this book in the hands of financial planners and bankers and and anybody who does estate planning and and uh, uh, anybody who works with people who are are 
older, more more mature, but young people can benefit from this book. What have readers been saying about essential retirement planning for solo agers? What what have you been hearing from readers? Well, I hear a lot of good things, which is really nice to hear. Um, I'm so glad that so many people have appreciated it. Uh, the book has the book has sold uh, somewhere between five and six thousand copies now. Um, I think it may it, it it's not the kind of book that goes into a, a second printing as we always hear about about books because this is uh printed as people want it. Uh, most publishers now are doing a kind of print on demand, and I don't mean that when you order a book they print it right there, but they they don't backlog a lot of copies of it so um I think it will continue to sell. Somebody told me once that writing a book is a marathon, not a sprint. And it's really true. Um, this book continues to sell, and especially it, it especially does well when I come on programs like this or give live talks, which is, of course, on hiatus right now. But I, I think that I can always see a little, a little bump in the, the books that are sold um, after I, I do a presentation and after, after I do a talk that a lot of people listen to. So um, Amazon has a tremendous number of really nice reviews. I'm always, <laughs> if I'm having a down day, I'll go to Amazon and look at the reviews of my book because most of them are really flattering. Oh, that's And it's awesome. been very gratifying, very gratifying to hear that people have gotten so much out of it and have really changed the, the way they're approaching retirement. And that's, of course, the ultimate is to have people tell me, well, your book changed my behavior. That's just tremendous. Yes. Oh, my God. Again, I think it's just we don't think about it. We don't even, even if you're in your 50s, you don't think about being in your 80s. You, we just don't think that far ahead. We just don't. And, yeah. and this type of this type of talk, your, your speeches, your book helps people to do that. Can you share three to four steps that you've taken, you found to be effective, at getting the word out about your book for our listeners who themselves might be writers or small business owners? Uh, Mm -hmm. Well, I think that as hard as it may be, and it is hard for some people, I have to admit this is not hard for me. I love to give talks. I'm just somehow or other, I'm just one of these people that likes to get in front of people and talk. So, um, but I think, Giving book talks at bookstores or libraries, I've had a, a tremendous amount of luck giving book talks at libraries. And I, interestingly enough, I, I would have thought that giving a book talk at a library is probably the last place that I would ever sell books because people who are in the library, they like to take out books. They like to get right. on loan for free. But interestingly enough, I have personally sold more books at libraries than wow. I have at, at some other places where you'd think I would, but I always come with a stack of books that I can uh, that I can sell to people because the publisher sells them to me for uh, a greatly discounted price. So I can sell for the price that someone would buy the, buy it on Amazon anyway. Um, so giving talks at bookstores and libraries, and um, I get a lot of talks at senior centers, of course, because that's my audience. And senior centers today are. Uh, very different than the senior centers that our parents yeah. may have gone to. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. They're very vibrant. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, they organize trips and they organize um, dinners out. And a lot of baby boomers are discovering senior centers now. Um, and I also talk at conferences. So any kind of professional, especially if you've written a professional book, put in proposals to speak at professional conferences. For those of you that are writers of fiction of some sort, um, <clears throat> I know that that online kind of uh, kind of cobbling together an online fan base is very important. Um, I don't know much about marketing fiction books, but I have a couple of friends that have done it pretty well. And if you have any kind of of writers' conferences in your area that you can go to, you can learn a lot about marketing. One of the best things about writers' conferences I've found is that there's a wealth of information about marketing. So that's where I have really benefited by participating in writers' conferences back when I did that. I don't do that much anymore, but uh, I certainly learned a lot when I did. Can you tell us uh, uh, (laughs) – oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, I guess that's the only real guidance I have, and it's probably not much. No, very, very helpful. Are you working on any other books? Will there be a a sequel or a, 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 <laughs> some, some other book to Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers? And I love that you made this uh, focused on solo agers, something you don't often hear people see done. But are you working on any other books? And if so, can you let us give us a glimpse into what you're working on? I don't think there's going to be a follow-on. There may be a um, second edition um, in another couple of years because things change, and I'll, I'll want to make some changes in the book. But I do most of my writing now um, I'm a, for Forbes. I'm a, a regular contributor to Forbes.com, so I write uh, at least two, two or three times a month. I, um, I put in an article about something to do with retirement or aging. And you can find, if you Google Forbes.com and my name, you'll easily find my page. I have probably 60 articles now in there. Good for you. Good for you. And, that's, and again, you, you're, you, you are very knowledgeable and very smart. Forbes, the retirement planning, what a good fit. Working off-the-shelf listeners get a copy of Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers. Best way to do it is through Amazon. Uh, Amazon, you, you know, Amazon's pricing is very dynamic. In other words, it changes all the time. But usually, my book is on sale for something around thirteen or fourteen dollars. Okay. Are you on social media? And if so, can you let us know where off-the-shelf listeners can find you on social media? Yeah, I have a LinkedIn page. Um, which, of course, LinkedIn is kind of tied to Twitter now. Um, I I have a Facebook page, but that's mostly for my personal friends. Um, Best place to find me on social media is LinkedIn. Okay. We have had the pleasure of of interviewing Dr. Sarah Zeff Geber and her She's the author of the book, Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers. Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers. You are not too young to get a copy of Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers. You could gift a copy to your parents, 
to your grandparents, depending on your age, aunts, uncles, and you could get something out of it for yourself. Even though it's, it says for solo ages, a lot of what she shares could be is applicable to people who are married and to people who have children. It's just the solo ages. You really have to think about it because you don't have the children who are going to take care of you. Or you can have children now and your children pass away before you a solo agent, so I really encourage people to get a copy of Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agents. And visit Sarah online at sarahzefgeber.com, S-A-R-A-Z-E-F-F-G-E-B-E-R.com. Thank you so much. Oh, my goodness, Sarah. For our listeners, we get so many people who listen to our shows in the archives. I mean, they will download, download, download. So if you came in midstream on today's show, no worries. After it finishes streaming, you can go back and listen to it in its entirety. You can share it, uh, get, get the book, but you can also listen to the live advice that uh, uh, Dr. Gabbard shared here during the show by just listening to the to the interview and sharing it with people you think might benefit from it. I can't thank you enough, sir. I cannot thank you enough for what you shared. You may help somebody that they take a step that helps them decades from now, that helps a, a caregiver, that helps. I mean, it's just who knows how many people will benefit from what you share in your book and what you shared on this interview. So I thank you, thank you, thank you. And to our off-the-shelf listeners, thank you again for tuning in to Off-the-Shelf Books Talk Radio. Set it on your calendar. Saturday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, you're going to catch, you're going to bless yourself, you're going to reward yourself, you're going to advantage yourself by listening to Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Saturday mornings. And remember, you are awesome, you are amazing, you are incredible. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Sarah, I'll send you a link to the show when it finishes streaming. Thank you again. Bye for now. Bye, Denise. Thank you so much.